Good morning, church. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for pursuing us, even unto sending your Son to die on a cross, that we might come near to you. Lord, we thank you for calling us home to yourself, for desiring to make us clean, but not only making us clean, but ennobling us and restoring our human dignity. Lord, we pray today that you would send your Holy Spirit to comfort us where we need comfort, to breathe hope where we need hope, to breathe faith where we are faithless. Lord, we pray that today as your word is proclaimed, you would enter every heart, every living room, every home. Come Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, the ascension of Jesus, the ascension of Jesus uh, happened 2,000 years ago this last Thursday. And uh, typically there is a worship service called Ascension Thursday worship. Uh, it's a, an Ascension Thursday worship service. But sometimes churches don't do that. Um, and that's fine. But one of the things that I found is that the ascension of Jesus gets very little airtime in Christian, a lot of Christian teaching. And I mean, you know, the resurrected Jesus had to go somewhere, right? I mean, it's not like he could continue to walk planet Earth after being resurrected, maybe hide out in the Himalayan mountains until it was time for him to come back out, you know, ta-da, I'm here again. But it's not like we can have a resurrected guy uh, walking among us over the last two millennia. So how appropriate that he returned home since he just visited Earth, right? I mean, he went to heaven and we're going to follow him. It seems so right that he would float up into the clouds and vanish back up there to heaven, back to a better place. He went to a better place. To prepare that place for us. You know how he talks about he's going to prepare a place for us in his father's house. There are many rooms. Perhaps he's going back to heaven to spiffy up the place, slap a few new coats of paint on the walls of heaven, maybe build an addition on the mansion to make more rooms, make up a few beds with, you know, a and Andy's mint placed squarely in the center of the pillow for you. And by the way, this will happen two million light years away where heaven is. No. Jesus' ascension has profound meaning for your life and for my life today. Right now. In fact, the entire life of Jesus, from his conception in the womb of Mary... His life, his teaching, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and the gift of the Holy Spirit, all of this is salvific. In other words, everything that Jesus has done saves us. It heals us. It restores our noble human dignity. If there is no ascension, then there is no salvation. If there is no death on the cross, then there is no salvation. If there is no resurrection, there is no salvation. If there is no gift of the Holy Spirit, then there is no salvation. Everything that Jesus does is integral to our salvation, to our healing, to our restoration as humans. In the biblical world, 
the ancients didn't conceive of a heaven that was way up there or 200 million light years away. Rather, heaven is what we would term God's space. It's a different or parallel universe, if you will. The heavenly realm for the ancients wasn't thought of something that was way up there or out there, but it is an interconnected, overlapping, interlocking reality with our physical reality. Heaven is not far off, but it's very near. This means that heaven can touch every part of our physical reality. So if I was given the gift of, this, uh, uh, of, a, of a, a, a supernatural knife that I could sort of slice through the air right now and peel it back, beyond that veil would be heaven, God's space, God's universe, the realm where God is king. So the biblical writers speak of Jesus going up, But what they're communicating is that Jesus is leaving this physical space and time and entering God's space and time. Whereas Jesus was bound by our space and time, he could only be in one location at one time. Now he can be with his people everywhere his people are. Jesus' ascension not only means that, that he can now be everywhere his people are by his Holy Spirit, but now... Jesus' ascension means a marriage. What do you mean by a marriage? How can the ascension mean a marriage? Well, it's the marriage of heaven and earth. Think about it. Jesus doesn't lose his physicality when he walks out of our space and time into God's space and time. He keeps his physical resurrected body, the resurrected body that he ate breakfast with, with his disciples on the shore of Galilee. That same resurrected body has now entered into God's space and time, which means that our physical reality and God's heavenly reality are now intertwined and married and inseparable. Isn't that an amazing thing? But not only that, there is now a human in the Trinity. There is now a human in the Trinity, and there will never be a time when there is not a human in the Trinity. Jesus didn't shed off his physical body as soon as he entered the fellowship of, 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 of the Trinity in the heavenly realm. He took our humanity with him into the Trinity. That is a profound, profound action. Basically, what Jesus is doing is he's saying, I have, an, I have ennobled humanity so much that, I, that we have now taken it into ourselves, and the heavenly and physical reality are forever wed. Because the material realm, the, the, the creaturely realm, is not a bad or evil or filthy thing. It is, in fact, meant to be united with heaven forever. The physical and the spiritual are married. They're now one. And you know what? This is God's plan for all of creation. And when Jesus sat down at the right hand of the Father, he was basically, what, in that action, what he was doing was saying, it is finished. Now, everything in heaven and on earth is about to become subject to the gracious 
King of kings and Lord of lords. He is now bringing heaven and earth under his reign and under his power, and the two will become one, heaven and earth. This is the, the plan of God as a mystery, held as a mystery down through all ages, namely that Eden in, the, in Genesis 1, 2, and 3 is going to be restored. God's not going to come back and burn up the earth and wrap it all up and throw it in the trash can and begin fully anew. That's not what's going to happen. He is going to come back to earth. Jesus is going to come back to his home on the earth, and he's going to establish his kingdom, and the reign of heaven is going to be married to the earth. So, what does this mean to us? I mean, this is all really great theology, and it's, it's, it's really great Christianese, but hopefully you're, you're getting a sense of, of what the profound nature of this means. It means, number one, that God cares about creation. He cares about your physical body. That's why God loves to supernaturally heal bodies. He cares about your life. He cares about the panic you're experiencing. He cares about the anxiety that you carry. He cares about your broken family. He cares about your parents that are, that are unwell. He cares about it. He cares about physical existence. He cares about the environment. He cares about the stewardship of the planet. Why? Well, because all of this is going to be here when he returns He's simply going to clean it up and make it all new, and heaven and earth are going to be a conjoined reality. There's going to be no more veil there. Jesus will rule, will rule and reign over the same seas and over the same rivers and over the same mountains and over the same cities that are here today. This is the Christian hope. And we, ourselves, who put our faith in Christ, will not die but we will live on forever. Our bodies will be resurrected. I think it's very timely that this pandemic is happening right now as, 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 as Easter has happened and Ascension has happened and Pentecost is about to happen. Because I think that a lot of us believers need to believe a little more. We need to turn off CNN we need to turn off talk radio. We need to turn off Fox News or BBC or whatever you listen to, depending on probably the political party you like to uh, <laughs> join yourself with, and join yourself with Jesus in this season. Turn off the news. Because all it is doing is breathing panic and depression and anxiety. We need to tune into what the Spirit of God is saying to the church right now, today. And for some of you who live with people that are panicking and who are just beside themselves and they're allowing this to, to, to sort of lay heavily on them as a depression, beloved, keep them accountable if they're believers. Tell your spouse, Jesus is on the throne. What's the worst that could happen to you? You could die. There are worse things than dying, beloved. <laughs> there are far worse things. Dying alone without God in the world is a far worse thing than dying as a believer in this world. Beloved, we need to reclaim the gospel. We need to reclaim the fact that Jesus is still on his throne and the church is reigning with him in the heavenly realms. 
What does that mean for us? Well, the early church in the first 200 years of its existence knew what it was. And Rodney Stark's book, his seminal work, The Rise of Christianity, he speaks of how when pandemics and plagues hit Roman cities, all the pagans fled. Yet the Christians went into the cities. They didn't flee. They went into the cities. And in those cities, they ministered to the sick, the lonely, the dying, those who had been abandoned by their families because their families were afraid of getting sick. And do you know why the believers could do that? Because they knew that Jesus was on his throne. And they knew that the worst thing that could happen to them was dying without him, not death itself. And many Christians died in that pandemic and in in those plagues. But the Roman government took note. And from their radical generosity and and the early church's radical uh, devotion to the sick and to the impoverished and to those who were, who were afraid, the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. That was one of, the, one of the key elements that led to the explosion of Christianity and the conversion of the Roman Empire in the first four, 400 years. But in our American culture, we, death is very sanitized for us. It's incredibly sanitized for us. How many of you, when grandma or grandpa dies, brings the corpse into your house and lays it out on a table and, you know, and, and invite people in for a viewing and a wake? But that happened 100 years ago. Now we just hand it over to the mortician. We hand the corpse over to the people who take care of it and everything's fine. It's incredibly sanitized. We have an inordinate fear of death. This culture wants to live forever, and they have an inordinate fear of death. And most people should be afraid because they will die alone without Jesus. But you, beloved, who put your faith in Jesus Christ, death is not the scariest thing that you will face. We are called to be different because Jesus has ascended to the right hand, and we are seated with him in heavenly realms. And we are called, as Jesus took his place at the right hand of the Father and is reigning and ruling over the world, and we are seated with him, the Apostle Paul says. Because of that, he has called us to carry on his work. Because Jesus is a high priest in the order of Melchizedek, we read in Psalm 110 this morning, we are also called to operate as priests as missionaries, to bear fruit that will last, to invite people to come home to the Father, to bring the kingdom of God to bear as he makes all things new, as he brings his kingdom, which Amy so eloquently said last week was the way life should be. The kingdom is God's space. It's it's what happens when God is king over the physical and spiritual realm. It is the way life should be. And we're called to bring the way life should be to our spheres of influence. It's interesting that when Jesus was walking around for 40 days, and I don't know about you, but I've often thought, what was he doing for 40 days walking around? I mean, we only have a few, a few uh, instances in the scripture that are recorded that he appears to his disciples, and the scripture says that he appeared to multitudes of people, 500,000 people. I mean, it's, it's really kind of interesting when you think about um, his sort of popping in and out of, of prayer meetings and showing up and teaching them. But we know that he opened the scriptures to them on multiple occasions we read today, that he kind of hijacked their small group Bible study. And, but, but he didn't just 
walk them through the scriptures for, for information's sake. He didn't say, you know, I would love for you to, to, to learn Ecclesiastes and maybe memorize some verses because you need more information. And so, you know, let's take a deep dive into the Pentateuch. Let's take a deep dive in, into Torah, the five first books of the Old Testament, because you need more information. No, Jesus didn't care about them having mere information alone. We know that he opened the scriptures to them and he engaged them in the small group Bible study in order to saturate them with revelation that led to action. He wanted them to have an encounter with the resurrected and living Christ himself in order that they would see in the scriptures that it all points to him and it all points to the kingdom coming to the earth and it all points to their nobility being restored as kings and priests to bring heaven and earth together. This is the message of the gospel. Not that you're saved for heaven someday, although that is true and that's a glorious reality, but that you have been called to be kings and priests right now in your sphere of influence to bring heaven and earth together. You weren't saved to apprehend more knowledge and to be in, uh, in a small group Bible study forever and ever, yea, amen. You were created to bring the kingdom of God to your sphere of influence and to make all things new with Jesus. They would be his witnesses to bring kingdom to earth. And in fact, we see that in Acts chapter 1 in the reading today. He, didn't talk, he could have talked to them about a myriad of things, but for 40 days he spoke to them of Deuteronomy. Did he do a deep dive into the book of Amos? No, for 40 days he spoke to them of the kingdom of God kingdom was coming. God's reign was coming to the earth, and they were to be his witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He didn't give them an option. To be obedient to Jesus was not to sit around and gain more information. To be obedient to Jesus was to engage their neighbors in Jerusalem, to go beyond Jerusalem to Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Obedience and Christian maturity that Jesus lays out here is to be bringers of the kingdom, not peddlers of truth claims, but bringers of the kingdom. The New Testament writers saw heaven, as Bishop N.T. Wright says, as the control center of the earth. So when Jesus ascends to heaven, when he goes into God's space and time, whoever is in heaven has sovereign control over all that happens on earth. But does that mean that Jesus would just kind of snap his fingers and all the world would be well on earth now, that everything would just, you know, he's in sovereign control, now everything's about to flourish and all the bad people are going to go and everything's going to be great? Well, no. Listen to what the psalmist says today in our psalm reading. The Lord says to my Lord, this is what David says, the Lord Yahweh says to my Lord, David says, David is saying, my Lord. Well, who's Lord over David? He's king. The Messiah, Jesus, he's, this is, he's prophesying a thousand years before here. Sit at my right hand. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand. Speaking of Jesus' ascension to the right hand of power. Until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. That's what the Father is saying to Jesus. Sit at my right hand, my son. 
until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion. Zion is the house of the Lord, saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. Verse 3, your troops will be willing. Who are the troops of the Messiah? The church, the witnesses of God's love. On the day of battle, Jesus... Your troops will be willing in the day of battle, arrayed in holy splendor. Your young men will come to you like the dew of the morning's womb. Your church will arise. They will flock to you, Jesus, as you hold up the banner of redemption and you call your people to to co-create with you on the earth. Bring heaven to earth. They will come to you and your scepter will be extended in the midst of your enemies, meaning where there is the enemy of sickness, the enemy of death, the enemy of marginalization, the enemy of, of oppression, the enemy of loneliness, all of the demonic possession. You will rule in the midst of your enemies, Jesus. Your people are your scepter and your people, your church, are the troops that are willing and arrayed in holy splendor in the day of battle. In the first century, Bishop Wright says, just a few decades after Jesus' ascension, Roman governors all over the empire write to the emperor asking, what do we do with these Christians? They're popping out everywhere. They're multiplying like bunnies. Whatever we try to do to them, whatever happens to them, they just seem to keep on multiplying. You see, in this age, God doesn't do power like the governments of the world do power. They don't roll in with tanks and guns. That's not God's way of doing power. Crusades, holy wars. Power is instead manifested through unconditional, sacrificial love. This is the sign of God's inbreaking kingdom. In the fearless actions of those who love him and dread nothing else but the loss of him. That's how the church advances. That's how the kingdom of God comes. That was Jesus' admonition to his disciples. Don't be afraid, but wait until the Holy Spirit comes and he will endue you with power from on high. You will have the reign of heaven inside of you and you will fear nothing. The way by which the sovereignty of Jesus is exercised, the way that he extends his scepter in the realm of his enemies, in the kingdom of darkness, is by sending his followers out to do the stuff he did to create world-transforming communities that would be like Jesus and do the works of Jesus in the power of his Spirit. I like to call these kingdom outposts. Outposts are in enemy territory, you know. Outposts are here and there and here and there and everywhere, but they are outposts. And they're outposts from where missions go forth to extend the will and the reign of the king. And they come back. They scatter and they gather. They scatter and they gather. As the enemies of Jesus are brought low and are subjected to him. That's our job. God 
is making his enemies Jesus' footstool through you and through me by the power of the Spirit. This is who you are, beloved. If you are a baptized, born-again believer, this is who you are. So, it's interesting that as Jesus sort of disappears into God's realm, from our realm, the writer uh, Luke says that they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? I love that. Why do you stand there looking into the sky? In other words, what are you doing? You need to be laser focused right now. You have stuff to do. Jesus has ascended. His work is done. Your work is just beginning. Sort of like it reminds me of of Peter at the Mount of Transfiguration. He's like, let's build some tabernacles and let's hang out here. Let's hang out here and do church. They say, no, 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 no. Why are you looking up into the sky? Cut it out. You have work to do. Go do what Jesus told you to do. Then they go on to say, the angels go on to say, this same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back the same way. You have seen him go into heaven. In other words, there is an urgency here. Jesus is coming back. Look busy. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Jesus is coming back. He's been taken into heaven. There will be an end to your work one day. You will rest from your labors one day. There is a goal. There is a purpose to your laboring in the kingdom. And he's returning to wrap up all natural history. Take heart. He's coming back. But you need to get working. So we hear that they returned to the upper room and prayed constantly, waiting for the power of the Holy Spirit. They had a mission from Jesus, but they needed power. And that power was his very presence, the very presence of God in our midst as we are his temple. So, beloved, this is an interesting time, but God's gospel is not restrained. The good news of Jesus' resurrection, ascension, and the gift of the Holy Spirit is not paused for a pandemic. And it's not paused because some of you just want to stand there gaping up, looking up into heaven and not get to work. I mean, like everyone else, I would love to just stay home, sip tea, and read good books. But there's more for us to do. And I believe that this season is an invitation for us to go beyond and to actually engage Jesus in obedience to his command. He spoke about the kingdom of God. He sent them as witnesses. Through every age, we've experienced craziness, yet the church has never shrunk back. The church has always maintained its course. And that's what we need to do in this season. So the way we're engaging mission here at All Saints in this time as a community is through Alpha Online. In two weeks, in two and a half weeks, two and a half weeks from now, Tuesday, June 9th, we're going to start Alpha Online. 
So if you are, if you, if you want to engage mission in this Jesus, in this Jesus, if you want to engage in mission with Jesus right now, this is an opportunity for you to do so. It's super laid back. People can ask their questions, non-judgmental atmosphere. And we're, we're just so pleased to be able to do this online. So you can go to our website. You can sign up there, register, um, allsaintsamesbury.org. Even if you want Alpha Refresher, let's say you did Alpha 20 years ago, you're welcome to join us online, especially since we'll plan to run Alpha again in the fall. So you can prepare to invite friends and lead a discussion group then if you'd like to do that as well. It doesn't matter if you've already done it or you haven't done it. This is for everyone. It doesn't matter if you're a part of this church or not a part of this church. Maybe you go to another church. It doesn't matter. This is a fantastic opportunity for us all. And I'm also directing our current amazingly faithful home group leaders to explore with me what it would look like for their home groups to go on mission with Jesus regularly, walking in their priesthood, extending the kingdom, and calling folks home to the Father. God is calling us, beloved. God is calling us to be a people of the ascension, an ascension people, a church that extends the reign of Jesus by pulling heaven and earth together in our spheres of influence, by giving people around us a taste of the way life is when God is king, a foretaste of the future, as we bless others, as we lead them home into a life-transforming encounter with God. Will you pray with me today? Father, we want to be more obedient to your Son, not just for obedience' sake, but because we trust him and we believe that when we throw our lives into the gospel, when we throw our lives into your mission, Lord, we flourish and everything around us flourish, flourishes. Now, Lord, it might seem kind of selfish, but it's a God word selfish, Lord. What we're saying here today is that, Lord, as we follow you in your mission, we will be deeply satisfied, the most satisfied. And we want to be satisfied in you, Lord, completely. So, Lord, do the work you need to do among us. Teach us, Lord, how to trust you more, how to shed fear and anxiety. Lord, we renounce fear and anxiety today in Jesus' name. And we choose to take you at your word. We choose to believe again the gospel, the good news, that you are king and we have nothing to fear. In Jesus' name.